Hi, everyone. Um, as I said, my name's Maddie, if we've not met before. I'm echoing a little bit. I'm not too sure why. There we go. Great. Um, and one of the things that's a little bit unique about me, or you might say unfortunate about me, is that I'm one of those people with my birthday in the first week of January. Is that anyone else? Or like just after Christmas? Anyone in the room? Yeah. Um, which some people really don't enjoy, if that's you. Um, maybe you feel like the attention's been taken away a little bit because everyone's like preoccupied with Christmas. Um, but for me, I really enjoy it. Not only because I get two sets of presents, um, but actually because there's something really fresh for me about becoming a new age as I start the new year. Um, and it often feels like quite a refreshing time for me with the Lord. He will speak to me and encourage me in quite specific ways. Some of you are thinking, that's great. I can't relate. <laughs> Maybe you're like, I really, really don't like the new year. Every year we go through it. New Year's Eve parties or like influence the posts on Instagram about what your 2023 can be. The gyms are really full. Everyone's like obsessing over how much weight they're going to lose or all the things they're going to achieve this year. And the most I can do is remember to take the bin out on the right day. Some of you are really not feeling it. Or maybe some of you, there's no strong feelings either way, but you just really struggle to take an interest at all, actually, because each year just feels a bit repetitive. Another year, I'm in the same job that I thought I'd move on from. Another year, I'm still single. Another year, I'm still struggling with this particular situation that I thought would change. But however you're feeling, I really believe that the Lord has so much hope for us today and wants to meet us where we are, as he's already started doing, however we feel. So we're going to be reading from the book of Titus today. Um, if you're new to Grace Church, it's not a series that we're going through, just a one-off preach. Um, but if you have a Bible with you, please turn there with me. Just a tiny book near the back, um, after the two letters to Timothy, but before Hebrews. Um, and it's written by Paul, the apostle who wrote, several letters in the New Testament, um, to his friend and um, one of his partners in his ministry, Titus, who's on his way to help and encourage the church in Crete. I'm now just going to follow my own instruction and try and find Titus. Um, so we're reading from chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, and it says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I don't know how you feel when you read a passage like this. Maybe you hear things like self-controlled, upright, and godly, and think, cool, another reminder of all the things I'm not. But as we take a closer look today, we're going to see how a passage that seems at first glance to be all about us is actually, like everything in the Bible, all about Jesus, what he's done for us, what he's doing in us and what he will do when he returns to us. So what has he done? Well, we've been singing about it already. Verse 11 tells us that 
The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This is not a sentence to gloss over today. It is a summary of the most wonderful truth. The grace of God appeared. We didn't squint to find it. We didn't conjure it up ourselves. Paul uses a Greek word, epithano, here, um, which he only uses twice elsewhere in the New Testament. And it means to shine upon, to give light to, to become visible or known. The grace of God was made visible to us in Jesus. To offer salvation to a people that were lost in sin and could not be saved any other way. Those who wandered far have now been found. Like sheep who have gone astray, we have been sought after and brought back into the arms of the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Like sons and daughters who ran away and spent all of our inheritance money on things that do not last, we've been welcomed back into the arms of the Father. Like people lost and wandering in the desert, we have been given eternal bread and water that we might never again hunger or thirst. Like people without clothes or a home, we've been given a crown on our heads, royal robes on our shoulders, shoes on our feet, a ring on our finger, and invited to sit at the king's table and feast with him. Thank you, Jesus. If you were around Grace Church at Christmas time, which, believe it or not, was three weeks ago now, feels like longer and also shorter, I'm not sure. Um, but if you were around here, we sung a lot of carols um, that talk about the miracle of what we refer to as the incarnation, the moment of this appearance of God's grace when he came to earth as a baby to seek and to save the lost. And one of my favorite carols that we sang around that time is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Partly because it's a banger, <laughs> but partly because it's full of beautiful words that celebrate the Prince of Peace, the Son of Righteousness, who was born a baby, yet with the fullness of God's deity in his every cell. I think it helps remind us that the purpose of God's coming to earth as a baby was not to stay as a baby, but to become a man who would die on the cross in place of his people, taking the penalty for their wrongdoings and be raised to life on the third day that all who believe in him might be raised with him. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mouty lays his glory by, Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. If you're a Christian today and you sung that carol at Christmas time, you are singing about how you have been raised with Christ and received new life in him. You've died to sin and you don't live in it any longer. And that is as true today as it was the moment you first became a Christian. It's as true today as it was on the cross all those years ago. It's as true today as it was when you were eating your Christmas dinner in December. I think sometimes it can be easy to feel like the grace of God is something that has wavered. And maybe that's how lots of us are feeling today. After a few weeks away from normal church, maybe you 
spent time with your family over, Christ, over Christmas and um, maybe they're not Christians and so you feel like the grace of God is a bit of a far-off concept at the moment or maybe their last few weeks have just been really hard and the grace of God feels like a nice sentiment but not something that affects or intervenes in your daily reality. But the encouragement from the Lord today is that his grace does not waver. It's not dependent on how you feel. In fact, no more can the grace of God in Jesus be shaken than Jesus himself can climb back into the tomb from which he rose. Our salvation is utterly irreversible. We did nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to remove it. And we never graduate beyond it. Maybe you feel like, wow, I really should have cracked this by now. If you've been a Christian for a few years, you might feel that way. But a guy called Jerry Bridges, who was an author, and he wrote a lot on the subject of grace, said this. On our worst days, we are not beyond the reach of God's grace. And on our best days, we are not beyond the need of God's grace. We're his. And that means he's still working in us. So what is he doing? Well, our God is committed to us. If you come with me to verse 12, it says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age until Jesus returns. We were saved to be sanctified, to become like Jesus. The cross defines our present. Like, what a relief to be defined by something that's already happened. And not only defined by it, but changed by it. What a breath of fresh air compared to what the world and our culture tells us. Our culture of individualism and you do you. But to be a Christian is to not belong to ourselves, is to belong to him. The grace of Jesus was not just a one-off event at the cross to be beheld and then forgotten about. Not something we read and chat about at home group, but we don't see the reality of in our mundane lives. It is life-giving in our everyday. It is character-changing. It leaves an irreversible mark on those who accept it. It enabled the Holy Spirit to make his home in our hearts that we might never again be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It enables us to embark upon the slow, slow journey of becoming like Jesus. That is his commitment, his gift to us. But we're not being invited to fill in a checklist. This is not like a quick tick-off process. Our Jesus is kind to walk with us through each moment. My housemate loves plants, and we didn't have a garden, so I would say that the inside of our house currently looks more green than the outside. Um, and I would also say that she's much better at taking care of them than me. <laughs> I'm the person who lets a peace lily droop until it looks like a mop head, and then I take it to the tap and like blast it with water and stand back and think, yeah, that did the trick. <laughs> but she is much more careful. She gives her plants as you should. <laughs> A bit, a bit of water, maybe every other day to help them grow. She has one of those like spray mister things, so she'll wander around the flat like misting the plants, because apparently that 
replicates their environment in the rainforest. Um, and she'll even wipe down their leaves with a wet cloth so they don't collect dust and um, struggle to photosynthesize. Jesus' approach to us and our journey of becoming like him is much more like my housemate's approach than mine. As we spend time with him in community, in his words and in prayer, he slowly, slowly drip drops us to become like him. Maybe we won't see the change in the day-to-day, and maybe it might look more like a spiral of change than a straight upward trajectory, but he is tending to us, and we will most likely see the change over years than days. And as he tends, there is some instruction for us. We're invited to say no to some stuff. The passage talks about the ungodliness and worldly passions that are all around, that were all around for the church in Crete and that are certainly all around for us. And we aren't to join in with those, the Bible says. We're called to live in the opposite direction as people who don't join in with the gossip in the office that choose to stop after two drinks on a night out so we don't become drunk, that makes the increasingly difficult decision in our culture to keep sex within marriage. Not only are we to say no to these things, but we're invited to say yes to self-control, godliness, uprightness. Not just living lives that outwardly look different, but surrendering to Jesus in all the dark corners of our hearts, in our every conversation and interaction too. Paul's words here are similar to what we see in the Old Testament, God's instruction to his people as to the way they should live, otherwise known as the law. And we can read that today, particularly in the New Testament, and think, why is that here? Why are you reminding me of this God? Like, if I can never fully achieve it, why is it here? But the law in the Bible can be described as a bit of a mirror. It shows up all the ways that we actually can't keep it. We are in desperate need of someone else to keep it for us in whom and by whom we are saved and made holy. The law points us to Jesus, the only one who fulfilled it perfectly. And as we now belong to him, we've received his grace, grace that doesn't leave us as we are, but points us back to the law, back to the right way of living, that frees us to do that actually. With his spirit's help, So these words aren't something to feel afraid of or condemned by. They're not a to-do list or an unattainable New Year's resolution that deep down you know you aren't going to be able to keep. And to be real, that was my reaction when I read them. I instantly was like, hmm, self-controlled, upright, godly. They are not things that I am. But we've all fallen short. The Bible tells us that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Jesus' point for putting it in scripture is not for us to stay in a place of crippling introspection or perfectionism, creating lists and lists of all the ways we don't measure up and despairing about it. Nor is it his desire for us to give up and think, well, I'll never be holy, so I may as well stop. Stop trying. No, these words are in scripture because they are actually a description of Jesus. Self-controlled upright, godly.
because he is God. C.S. Lewis, who lots of us know and love as the author of the Narnia series, talked about how we can misunderstand holiness in the Bible. Um, We can either misinterpret it as condemnatory, or we can actually misinterpret it as really boring. Like, why would I want that for my 2023? Why would I not want to lose weight or look good or be successful? But this is what C.S. Lewis has to say on the matter. How little people know who think holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. When we look at a passage like this, we are being invited to look upon Jesus. The one who freed us from sin, that we might live now as free people, as people who look like him. So what will he do? Well, verse 13 says that we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I don't know if you've ever met one of those people who constantly starts new things and never finishes them. Um, I used to be a bit like that as a kid. At regular intervals in my childhood, I would like run to my parents and tell them I had this passion to start trampolining or ice skating. Or um, In my notes, I originally wrote tennis, but the truth is that I used to collect rocks for a bit. <laughs> um, sometimes I tell people that and they're like, you mean like rocks off the floor? I'm like, no, not like just from the ground, <laughs> semi-precious stones. <laughs> so I had all these great enjoyable hobbies but they would often quite quickly fizzle out, especially when my parents told me it wasn't feasible um, to pay for a new hobby every week, which is fair enough. But it's a picture, I think, a trivial example, but a true example of the way that we as humans can be quite fickle with the things we pick up and drop. And even at our best, we can never feel things consistently, though we never come close to this sort of commitment that the Lord has for us. Jesus is not someone who takes up a hobby and drops it. That's not what he's done with you. The work he's doing to make for himself a people that are his very own is not something that he's half-heartedly started and tailed off. It's not a New Year's resolution that he vowed to keep in January and he's given up by the time it comes to March. Maybe that's how you feel sometimes, Maybe you became a Christian a few years ago, and in that first moment when you declared your faith was in him, you went through quite a dramatic change, and there was lots in your life that, you, um, that the Lord helped you make look different. And maybe nowadays you're looking around thinking, am I still on this road? Am I still where Jesus wants me? I don't feel like there's anything happening. But if that's you, be encouraged by what scripture says today, here and in other places. Paul wrote several letters in the New Testament, as I said, and another was to the church in Philippi. And some of us might recognize these words from it. It says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When I was younger, living my life with all my hobbies and all my rocks around me, um, I used to really misunderstand that verse. I was encouraged by it, but I would sort of snip it a bit and just write down, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion and like stick it on my wall on the post-it. And then I would sort of wait around until he brought it to completion. Every time I got prayed for at church, I'd think maybe this will be the day. This will be the day I'm finally perfect. I'm finally like Jesus. I finally don't struggle with that sin anymore or get annoyed at people who irritate me. I had missed that the Lord will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, the day he returns. We won't be complete until we're with him and he returns to make all things right. And far from being like a lofty concept, I think this is enormous encouragement to the weary and disheartened hearts in the room. To the ones who despair at the ugliness of their hearts or else at their inability to clean themselves up, though they try. Jesus will not stop working in you. Those who belong to him are being purified by him to become a people that are his very own. As surely as he will return to us, he will complete this work in us. He will make us to be like him. Before Christmas, at the beginning of Advent, Rosie preached a brilliant message on the way Advent and Jesus' first coming as a baby actually points to his second coming. And she compared the waiting time that this verse talks about to how we feel when we have guests coming around to our house. When we know somebody's coming around, we might clean the bathroom, tidy away the shoes, make sure there's room for their coat on the coat rack. Maybe we'll hoover the carpet, clump up the cushions, light a nice candle. If you're my housemate Ellie, you might wipe the pants down. As we wait for Jesus, we aren't sat back relaxing. We are preparing for his coming. We are daily coming before him and asking, as King David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Not because we're trying to win his favour. We already have it. But because his grace is constantly teaching us, changing our desires and changing our behaviour to look more like his. There will always be things we have to say no to until he returns. But don't worry, you won't be saying no to anything that you really miss. Not when you compare it to what you gain in Jesus. There's a really great article on a website called Desiring God that I read. Um, as I was preparing for this preach called You Are Not You Without Him. And it's sort of a reaction against the way our world glorifies individualism and self-actualization. Contrary to what the world says, we find our truest selves by laying ourselves down. You may lose yourself when you give yourself up to Christ, it says, but only those parts of yourself that deserve to be lost, the parts that will be torn apart and thrown into the lake of fire. We will no longer use our hobbies as props for our identity, but will enjoy them as gifts from a kind God. 
We will no longer restrict our social circle to those who really get us, but will rub shoulders with the most unlikely. We will no longer plan a future around our own bucket list, but will dream about meeting the real needs of needy people. In a moment, we're going to make a bit of space to wait on the Lord and listen to what his particular encouragement might be to each of us today. Maybe he simply wants to remind you of the unending torrent of grace he has towards you, like a current of water you can't swim away from. Maybe there's something specific in your life that the Lord wants to put his finger on and say, maybe we should take a look at that together. Maybe that's something I can help you with. Or maybe you're not a Christian today, you're just looking in. But what you've heard has caused you to wonder whether Jesus has something for you. And if that's you, we'd love to chat or pray with you afterwards. Um, and as JP mentioned earlier, we've got a great course starting at the end of the month, Alpha. But you're so welcome to come along to and ask any questions that you might have. But why don't we have the band up and I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, that you've not stopped working in us, that the gospel is no less true today, no less powerful than it was on the day you rose again, you defeated death, and you brought us into your family. Thank you that nothing can reverse that, Lord, not on our worst days, not on our best days. And at the start of this year, we resurrender our hearts to you, Lord, all the corners, maybe the stuff we haven't told anyone about, we give it to you and we ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and change us to be more like you and help us to be patient in the process. Thank you that you're always kind, you're always gentle with us, Lord.